Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I got the legendary Jim Lang. Jim Lang, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, and I hope you're doing well as, as well. <laughs> I mean, if you, I've said this so many times on this podcast, if you would have told myself 20 years ago, I'm 12 at that point, you would have told me 20 years ago, I would have been talking to somebody that had such a huge influence. And I showed you Arnold earlier, right? First episode on that show was them playing in the fruits and the musical and everything like that. If you would have told me 20 years ago, I'd be talking to the guy that not only made the theme song, did all of the music and was 100% responsible for almost 50% of that show. Math doesn't really add up right here. But nonetheless, your music is so damn iconic with this show that when this show came out, I wanted to be Arnold because he had the coolest room. Not only the coolest room, he listened to the coolest music. And you did that, man. I, I, we'll get to Arnold eventually, I'm sure. Um, but I, I want to know, man, when I was looking through your bio, um, you, you know, you started out as a musician doing all of these jazz-influenced bands and everything you were working on. Um, but I want to know, what was your earliest memory when it comes to music? What was that musical bug that bit you like? damn it, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's a really, uh, a really easy answer because uh, I think when I was seven or eight years old, I was in music class. This was back when they actually had music class in grade school. Um, but my, uh, the music teacher played Rhapsody in Blue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went home and I told my father, I, I said, I, I heard this incredible piece I don't you know I don't know what I said to him but I, I words to the effect of I heard this incredible piece of music today H- have you ever heard of a, a piece of music called Rhapsody in Blue by a guy named George Gershwin and my father said yeah we have we have that record and so uh, I took that record up to my bedroom and I got out my um, little all-in-one you know record player <laughs> <laughs> my my Burl Ives uh, home record player, whatever it was at that point. And I spun that record day after day after day after day. I, I wore out both sides of it. And, and like a lot of the Rhapsody in Blue recordings, it was American in Paris on one side and Rhapsody in Blue on the other. And so that was it for me. Uh, it, it just completely blew me away. And um, I think, you know, that the music that we, the music that gets us when we're young uh, and there's, I think there's a, I think there's a period there, maybe the first 20, 25 years of your life, you're really wide open to, to getting imprinted with all kinds of things, you know, uh, art, visual things, smells, you name it. But, but music particularly uh, is really uh, seductive during that era. And so that was it for me. And uh, from there, it was like, you know, what my father had in the stereo cabinet. Yeah. Uh, the the other records that, that he had that, w- that we listened to and then you know uh, 
it was it was pretty much done <laughs> when, when that was all over i was addicted <laughs> it, 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 it's funny you say that because when i was younger right I, I don't know if it was just um you have this preconceived notion of you know my friends like this so i have to like this and then my friends don't like this so i can't like that and what i mean by that is when i was growing up 90s hip-hop was my jam 90s hip-hop and 90s r&b i loved the it's gonna make me sound stupid i guess but and i i have you're the first musician i've actually had on as far as this podcast goes mainly it's voice actors and screenwriters but like i said at the beginning you you were this music was so influential i loved the vibe that was given off when when hey arnold would come on he had the coolest like i said the coolest room and he listened to the coolest music or or everything had you were just happy when you listen to this right now going back to when i was influenced by music as far as a little kid it was that 90s hip-hop and r&b and i always had this mindset that if you like that you couldn't like other genres like heavy metal or, or classic rock or insert genre here and it wasn't until i hit you know 22 23 and then I'm on a I'm on an aircraft carrier out in the middle of the Gulf, right? I'm sitting here with a whole bunch of different people, and then everybody is just playing these different music, and everybody is liking what everybody else is playing. And it was going from R&B to country to rap to metal to this to that, insert whatever genre. And then I started looking, and everybody's just tapping their feet, and I'm like, it's okay to like all these different genres. I thought once you pick, it's like picking a sports team, right? You're like, I'm going to just stick with this one, right? Because this one's working out for me. And when I found out that you could like jazz and you could like country and you could like hip hop and you can like this, it wasn't until I was 23, 24, 25, where I just, like I said, left all those preconceived notions. Um, when you were just going through your dad's uh, cassettes and his albums and all of this other stuff, right? His big tables and his, and his, his big storage containers for all of his music. I mean, what were some of the, I guess gems that you would pull out or what, what do you think of the gem is now when you think about all that music you were listening to? Well, he was, uh, he was a big Oscar Peterson fan mm -hmm. uh, for, for people on the podcast in the audience that don't know Oscar Peterson was a pianist, um, really, uh, uh, really great pianist who did a bunch of great, uh, really fantastic trio recordings. Um, so, uh, that's one thing uh, I was able to, fortunately, I was able to see uh, Oscar Peterson play before he passed a couple of times. And um, that, that was awesome. It really felt like going home. Um, another thing was uh, uh, Broadway musicals. I mean, my mother was a <clears throat> musical fan. So we had I, the, the album that, I, that sticks in my head is My Fair Lady. Um, I know the whole score to My Fair Lady backwards and forwards. You know, I could sing you, I could still do uh, uh, do the, a bunch of the patter songs from from that. So I was I was also a, a big Broadway uh, musical fan. Um, what else? Uh, there was a great guitar player named Howard Roberts, uh, jazz guitar player. Uh, listen to his stuff. Um, trying to think of what else. I mean, those are the ones that that come immediately to mind. Now, you brought up a jazz guitar player. And I don't know if this is going to be super, super deep cuts. And usually when I when I have questions, I try to save them for the end. However, you brought up a jazz guitarist. And one of those questions was about a jazz musician. Now, um, this is from AC. And this comes from Reddit. And then 
she, I'm not sure if it's a he or she, so sorry in advance, you didn't tell me. Um, but they're like, Jim, did you compose Groove Remote Lockjaw with Eddie Lockjaw Davis, the famous jazz saxophonist, in mind? Did that come across your mind? Uh, no, actually, it, it didn't. Uh, uh, Lockjaw was the name of the character, as, as your uh, listener probably knows. Uh, it was a, a tortoise, a giant tortoise that, yeah. that Arnold rescues, you know. So uh, that's where the lockjaw part of it comes from. And Groove Remote actually um, was one of the pieces. There are a couple of pieces of music in the show that were things that I had written before I did the show. And Groove Remote was something, um, it was a head that I wrote uh, called Confession. Mm -hmm. And... That was around for uh, you know maybe a year or so before we actually started doing the show, um, but one one thing that happened when we when we were developing Hey Arnold, um, Craig and I, uh, Craig Bartlett, the creator of the show, and I had uh, obviously a lot of conversations about what we wanted to do with the music, and then um, before we uh, before the animation even started being made, I went off and just did a bunch of writing. Uh, Kind of thinking, well, okay, you know, based on what we talked about, uh, these are some these are some ideas that might make it into the show. And Groove Remote, there's a there's a couple of different versions. The the version that that uh, is called Lockjaw is the the more melodic version. And then there's a kind of a funkier uh, version that's got some samples in it. Um, and that is, uh, I don't even know if that exact one ever made it into the show, but that's something that shows up online a lot. Um, and it's also something that I've done uh, recently. I did a, a new version of that's up on my SoundCloud, so people can search that out as well. Where can they also, find it? Also called Groove, Groove Remote. Uh, it's called Groove Remote and then uh, parentheses confession. And What's the name of your uh, SoundCloud profile so they can find it? Is it just Jim Lang? It's the Jimmy Lang. Yeah. Okay. So T H E J I M M Y L A N G. Make sure you go and hook this man up, man, buy everything he's putting out there. Because nothing, like I said, nothing brings you back more to a specific time in your life than a couple things, right? Music being one of them. You can sit there and say, shit, I remember the first time I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit from Nirvana. I can remember the first time I hear Bad Frisch from Sublime. And all these guys are just my guys. These are my bands that I just absolutely love growing up. Or the first time I heard Dolly Parton, right? So it just depends on what I'm feeling like. It's like, man, grandpa was onto some shit with Merle Haggard, man. I love this guy because of my grandpa, right? So it, it, it never, nothing really brings you back quicker than a sound or a smell from a specific food or, you know, it, it's just weird what kind of emotions or what kind of thoughts that these, these words or these melodies or these smells kind of elicit in your brain. Um, now you brought up Craig, the creator, man. I mean, this dude, not only did he get me with Hey Arnold, right? I've got a little kid and then I got another one on the way here in June, uh, July. And uh, I'm pretty sure that they're going to be just as hooked as my oldest son was on Dinosaur Train. Um, but how did that how did that um, that relationship with Craig form? Did you know him beforehand or is it something that they reached out to you? And like, I love your style. I'd like to implement it into my show. We had worked together on a, a few things before Hey Arnold. Um, there was a company in uh, in Burbank uh, called uh Imagination Arts, Bob Rogers Imagination Arts, and they do um, museums, uh, 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 like uh, 
World's Fair, you know, World's Fair pavilions, stuff like that. Sorry, I'm I'm blanking on the there's a there's a, a name in the trade for it. But but anyway, we we worked on uh, we met on this crazy thing that we were doing for uh, Toshiba. It was a pavilion for Toshiba that was in Expo 90, I think. And uh, it was uh, industrial robots, to Toshiba industrial robots. And, and the story was that there were three student robots and a teacher robot and the students were misbehaving all the time and the teacher had to you know, keep them in line. Hmm. And when you think about industrial robots, these are things that they, it kind of looks like you know, there's an upright thing and then an arm that comes off of that and then a clamp on the end of it. Um, and, and what they were, what these robots were designed to do was to, to work in the assembly of uh, circuit boards. So they were really clever at picking up a circuit board, flipping it over, inserting it in something and then pulling it back out and flipping it over and then moving it on to the next thing. They were really great at that. What Craig had to do was sit in a warehouse <clears throat> in Osaka with a bunch of Japanese engineers, uh, none of whom spoke English. And of course, Craig didn't speak any Japanese <laughs> and teach these, teach these robots how to do the funky chickens. <laughs> so at some point they were getting started and, and the, guy that was the, the guy that was doing the music for it uh, wasn't really getting it. And um, uh, they, uh, I had done another project for them just uh, prior to that. And they said, would you be interested in, meeting this guy, Craig Bartlett, and talking to him about this Toshiba thing. And I said, sure. And he's, he's a great guy. He's really funny and, and super engaging. And we just hit it off immediately. So we did that project. We did a couple of other projects for that company. And then at that point, he was pitching uh, Hey Arnold to Nickelodeon. And he said, would you be into doing music for this cartoon? I said, yeah, absolutely, I would. So uh, and fortunately, the show got picked up. We did the pilot, and then they they picked it up, and then the rest is history. You know, we did a hundred episodes. So now, with what do you remember? What year? You might have said it earlier, and I, I'm I'm just blanking. But you remember what year? Um, like they approached you for Hey Arnold? Honestly, no. I think it was '92. Can that be right? It's probably right, because the only reason I ask is because, like I said, you're the first musician I've ever had on here. And I want to get into, I want to see how the sausage is made with you when it comes to music and all that stuff. So, you know, when I talk to writers and artists the and voice actors, the writers would have a, you know, as far as like, hey, this is point A, point B, point C. They need to get here, fill in the blanks type of things. So the voice actors would have these things after they've already been animated or they're making the sounds of their mouths um before and then they just the animators would go and match them up um and i was baffled when i heard that you know some of this stuff especially back in the early 90s was almost two years out from the time they wrote it to the time that it actually got onto the screen was almost yeah. a two-year process now for you at what point do they come to you obviously they're like hey we're going to do the show would you like to do the music is the show at that point already done and animated and then you're watching it and you're like Ah, this is what I'm feeling for this, this scene, or this is what I'm feeling for, you know, this dialogue, or how does that mindset work for you? Well, there's, there's two parts to the gig. If, if you're, if you're doing something that has songs, um, be, because the dialogue is the first thing that, you know, after the script is written, the dialogue is the first thing that happens. The, the dialogue all gets recorded and then everything sort of flows from that. Yeah. So if, if you're, 
using any songs in the show, those songs have to be written up front and then recorded with the voice talent so they can be animated. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that happens. And then everything goes away. And depending on the production and the style of animation, whether it's traditional, you know, 2D animation or computer animation or whatever, there's a, you know, a length of time that happens while the storyboards get done, the, you know, the uh, animation all gets built and then it comes back uh, and, and the actual uh, underscore gets composed at the very end of the process, like with most films, you know, uh, or TV shows. That's kind of like the, the music and the sound effects are the last things that, that happen before it gets mixed and shipped off and put on the air. So with, with, that, with that being in mind, how long would it take you once you start seeing how the show's playing out and how the characters are kind of forming and you got to make all these melodies and everything to kind of transition between scenes it's just got to match. It's got to be a marriage made in heaven, right? So, I mean, at what point and how long does it really take you to say, hey, this is the vibe I want? Or was Craig saying, hey, I've got this this really you know unique way. I want to do jazz inspired and I want it influenced this way. Or was that 100% you? He's like, this is what I want to do. This is good. Or was it a was it a 50-50 kind of thing? We talked about, um, as I said, we had a lot of conversations before the before we started making the pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, about what we wanted the music to, to feel like. And uh, we both were in accord about just about everything we talked about. I mean, there, we really didn't have to scuffle about anything. And the, the, the things that we really had in common were, uh, one, we had both been listening to um, a DJ on KCRW, uh, Jason Bentley uh, in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And he was playing acid jazz at that point. And it just seemed like, wow, this is a really great, it's a mashup of the cool old, you know, soul jazz stuff that was getting made in the 60s and 70s and uh, some modern beats, you know. Um, so that seemed like a really great sort of urban flavor that we could use. And then the other thing that we really agreed on was we both loved uh, Vince Guaraldi and the music that he wrote for Peanuts. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it was it was jazz inflected. Obviously, he was a jazz musician, uh, and it was also extremely uh, emotional and melodic, uh, which uh, w we felt um, we we didn't even really know. I think when we first started making the show, how important that emotional uh, aspect of it was was going to be, um, because I think we got further into. Arnold's, you know, interior life and the interior life of all these characters as the show went on and people, you know, people really responded to that. Uh, and the, the writers, of course, loved the idea, you know, we're not just making gags all the time, we can write some real stories about the kind of shit that actually happens to kids, yeah. you know, and, and grownups, you know, so I think, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, I'm sorry. I think that's one of the things that, that really uh, resonated you know, when I hear from people these days, that's one of the things that really resonated with people. It's just like, this felt like me. This felt like, yeah. you know, my confusing life being a kid, you know, really wonderful sometimes, <laughs> really crazy sometimes. Adults, what's up with adults, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> it, it, it definitely, you can always tell when people are just phoning it in, when people are just doing it for money, right? And I've heard it and I've said it a couple different times, man. You can tell when 
when people are doing it for passion and you can tell when people are doing it for profit, right? And one thing that I really enjoyed and I really appreciated when I was when I was watching cartoons as a kid, because that's pretty much all I watched as a kid was just cartoons. And it's pretty much all I watch now is essentially cartoons. I'm either watching Cobra Kai with my kid because he's a little karate master. And that's all he wants to watch is just karate kid, this Johnny Lawrence that, you know, and I'm perfectly fine with it. I'm just tired of the sneak attack kicks and punches. When I come down the stairs, those tend to add up a little while, you know, after a little while. Um, but what I, like I said, what I really appreciated about this show was every character, right. Was somebody you could see in the neighborhood when you were out, right. You would just see a Gerald, you would see a Harold, you would see a Helga. Everybody had a brain, you know, you, insert character there was a eugene in every single circle right i mean i was usually not the eugene as far as like i got tripped and i was clumsy but i was pretty much the only redheaded kid running around right so um, i always fancied myself as an arnold but as i got older i'm like you know what i could be somebody's gerald and here's one thing i was saving for one day when i get craig on here i was saving this because i don't know if he really did this but gerald wore the number 33 right and I don't know if that was a nod and I don't want to Google it because I want to feel like it was my thought when I thought about it. Cause I was super duper baked. I was smoking a joint the other day and I was like, you know what? I have no problem being somebody's Scotty Pippen. I'm like, Holy shit. Gerald was Arnold's Scotty Pippen. He wore the number 33. So I have no idea if those two correlations match up. This is high math at this point. Right. So I don't think it really counts, but right. You know, getting to all of that other stuff, what I loved about this, other than the characters that you could pick out in your neighborhood or in your friend circle, the show didn't talk down to you. It taught you that everybody goes through, everybody's got a crush that is unattainable. Everybody has that bully that is a soft-hearted guy like Harold was, right? Everybody's got that older brother like Jamie, right? Or older sister, right? So it was so far ahead of its time, right? And the fact that this show, I mean, this show has lasted the test of time. I think this show will go down as probably the best cartoon Nick ever did, right? You know, if it was not for, like, if Hey Arnold was on Cartoon Network, I'd be so pressed to pick my favorite cartoon because it really comes down to Ed, Ed and Eddie on Cartoon Network and then Hey Arnold on Nickelodeon. I mean, Cartoon Network was sweeping Nickelodeon for me until Hey Arnold came on the scene. And I didn't even really see Hey Arnold when, in 96 when it came out. I was more of a 2000s because we were jumping from place to place when we were growing up. We were moving from a bad place to a better place to a really good place um, when I was younger. So I caught most of this stuff in reruns. But like I said, the fact that it was done and you didn't get talked down to, and then when you watch it as an adult, you see like, oh man, this is a lot deeper than just a kid's show. They're talking about real stuff that not only affected the kids, like you said, but you could see it affecting adults and teenagers and all this other stuff as well. I mean, it just goes to show you like how fucking smart Craig is and how brilliant this man is when it came to writing this show. Um, with that being said, did you watch any of this? I mean, obviously you watched it when you were doing, you know, as far as your job, but I mean, would you sit down with your kids and watch this show or was that something you're just like, ah, it's work. My kids, uh, it, when, when they were little, uh, we didn't do any TV outside of, you know, Sesame Street and stuff like that, you know, the PBS yeah. kids shows, but other TV just like didn't happen in our household. You yeah. know, my, my wife and I were, were big TV people. And so their special treat was uh, we had, <laughs> we had a yoga class that met in our living room mm -hmm. uh, and the yoga class met on the night that Hey Arnold was on. 
So when Hey Arnold was on, they got to go hang out in front of the TV and watch <laughs> Hey Arnold. Uh, but I was doing yoga, so I never got to see the show when it actually aired. <laughs> so, you were dog posing the entire time while Arnold and exactly. Jerry were chased by Harold. <laughs> chilling, you know, chilling with the uh, downward dog. Right, just breathe in, breathe in, Jim. Exhale. <laughs> Feel it with your feet. I've done a few yoga classes here and there. It's fantastic. I should do it more often because, you know, my back feels so much better when, you know, when I am stretching, when I'm doing these types of things, but getting back and staying on track to an extent here. Um, what is your process as far as like, I see this going on and I'm going to start making stuff. Do you see like a plot or do you see something or are you just walking through your house and you hear something fall and like, man, I got, I got the base layer for something or a foundation for something here. Well, on the, on Hey Arnold and on most of the cartoon stuff that I've done, um, uh, I like to uh, I, I like to work from the beginning of the story straight through to the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I would start uh, most of the time. I would start by writing the open for the show. You know, so yeah. generally there's a kind of an introductory shot. You know, like a long shot where you're seeing. PS 118 or you're seeing, you know, Arnold's house or you're seeing something like that. And so we'd quote one of the themes from the show and, and then, you know, you sort of roll on from there. Um, By the time the show was one season old, we really had, even before we finished the first season, we really had almost all of the major character themes in place. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of the writing is figuring out how to take one of the character themes and and play it under a scene, maybe in a way that people hadn't heard before, you know, do a different arrangement of it. So that's a big part of the process is just figuring out, you know, uh, what what thematic stuff you're gonna use. And then the other thing is really for, for cartoons, cartoons are really very closely tied to what's going on uh, on the screen. You know, there's a, there's a very close relationship between the image and, and the music. The music is always kind of supporting what's going on, particularly, you know, in, in, in the comedic moments, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting things that are happening on screen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a, a lot of the creative process really starts from there. It's like, you know, how fast, are, how fast is this scene going? You know, are they, is it a walk and talk? Or are they just kind of, are they depressed? Are they walking slowly down the street or, are they happy? You know, they got their baseball gloves and, and bats and stuff and they're going to go play ball. That's a whole different kind of feeling. So what's that groove feel like? Uh, if it was Helga, it was always, you know, she was either pissed at Arnold or she was in love with Arnold. So it was like the, the sad, you know, violin or the, or the Wagnerian orchestra, you know, that was playing her <laughs> incredibly passionate, you know, rants that she would yeah. give about Arnold. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I think that's it. Uh, there was a point I, I remember maybe in the third season, third or fourth season, when I felt like uh, I felt like I kept seeing myself coming around the corner. Like we had done the same things a lot of times. And I, I just thought to myself, I have to bust out and do some. I have to come up with some different ideas. I have to do some more thematic thinking or change up what, what the instrumentation is that I've been using or whatever. And so there was a, there was a point there where, where I kind of changed a few things up. Um, 
I don't know that I could even tell you where it happened. And I, I definitely don't think you'd really n notice it if you listen to the score. But I just remember at a certain point thinking, okay, I, I've done that particular thing enough times now, I'm gonna have to do something else, have to refresh it a little bit. And it's the joy uh, really of getting to do a whole bunch of epi episodes or something. I've never done another show where we did a hundred episodes. So that's a, that's a long run. If you, if you count the, you know, the run up time doing the pilot and doing the, you know, making the early shows before the, the animation starts coming back, it was about six years. That's so, in, that's insane. Not six only is plus not, years, really more like, more like six and a half or seven, really. To understand that you guys got a hundred episodes and then you did two movies and I'm pretty sure we can talk about it. Cause it's been three years at this point. I mean, that movie, I did not understand or think that I was going to be hit as hard as I was hit when I saw the jungle movie, you know, when Arnold finds his parents finally at the end of all this and you finally find out his last name. Um, and then you're pissed because grandpa has been saying it the entire <laughs> damn show. You're like, God, like damn it Craig man why are you so much smarter than everybody else right it, it's just it, it was one of those things but that seemed like I'm gonna try to do it without like tearing up some you know a little diva moment here but no, that that scene like I said when he finds his parents and he finally gets that closure if you will right because you feel for this kid all the time I had a friend growing up and he lost his dad at a young age. He had a brain aneurysm, aneurysm, as I have a stroke there, brain aneurysm. And he died real young, fifth grade, fourth grade, somewhere around there. I can't remember the year. That's rough. Or the grade. Yeah. So you see that loss, right, in your friend. And then you're consistently seeing it. Like this dude is just longing for his parents. And then to have to wait, what was it, 13 years after the show ended, you get the, the, the Jungle movie, which I'm so thankful it finally got made if there was any show that deserved a a you know about a swan song you know a standing ovation it was this show this show was just so beautiful this beautiful movie was beautiful um but just see like i said the shortman thing coming around and then he finds his parents and then it was just so beautifully shot when you guys were doing this was this in a culmin i don't want to say that word because it's not the right terminology when this movie finished, what did you feel from your standpoint as being the composer that did this from day one to the time it got finished? What was you, what were you feeling at the end of this movie? Well, <laughs> I'm going to give you a kind of a banal answer, you know, uh, to your question. Uh, I was, I was dog tired. Um, <laughs> we had a, we had a release date for the movie and this, you know, I mean, this happens all the time making TV and, and making movies, you know, mm -hmm. that because the music and the sound effects, as I said, are the, at the very end of the train, uh, you're the last one to pull into the station always. And if, if anything else happens in the production and the production kind of slides back, what typically doesn't slide back is the day that you're supposed to deliver the thing. So, you know, long story short, some things got, some of the animation came in more slowly than they expected it was gonna happen. There were some things that, that Craig and, and Ramey, who was the, the other uh, animation uh, mm -hmm. uh, director on the show, um, or one of the, I should say, one of the two animation directors on the, on the movie, um, things that they decided they, they needed to reshoot or, or needed to, uh, to reanimate. 
So there were bits and pieces of, of the movie that were really late coming in. So I was down in Nashville recording the orchestra, what, four or five days before I was supposed to deliver the movie. How so many? you said four? Four or five days, yeah, before I was supposed to deliver. So that's insane. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's <laughs> as, a, as a, my first agent said, it gets really hot in the kitchen. Are you ready for that? So. <laughs> I love I love very, the kitchen reference. It was very hot in the kitchen, you know. I, I, but I will say the the moments, um, the things that are really memorable to me. And you talked about the scene where Arnold sees his parents. Mm -hmm. um, for me, having lived with the characters and lived with the show, lived inside the show uh, for all those years. Um, there was a part of me that was absolutely terrified to try and score yeah. that moment because, Hey, it's, it's the thing that everybody's been waiting for. You know, it's like when Arnold Helga, when Helga kisses Arnold, yeah. you know, that happened a long time ago, but that was another one. It's like, Oh my Lord, what, <laughs> what am I, how am I supposed to do this? You know? So, so leading up to leading up to the moment when the day that I actually sat down to write that cue, mm -hmm. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was a little flipped out. I thought this is, this is not going to be easy. As it turns out, um, you know, writing, writing is one of those things. It's like the deal is you just have to open yourself up. Yeah. You know, the, the music is all out there in the universe. The universe is full of beautiful music. You know, people mm -hmm. are full of beautiful music. The world is full of beautiful music. All you have to do is just shut up and get out of the way. <laughs> and so, and, and so that's what happened. I mean, that, that scene developed very organically, you know, and I had a couple of ideas. I had a place to start from that I, that I was a really nice discovery. And then the, the building of it, the building and building and building as he's running to get to the place where his parents, uh, where his parents are, uh, that was all really, or happened really organically. And then, as we often did in the show, the climax of the whole thing is like a very quiet, is a very quiet moment because it's not triumphant so much as it is uh, grace descending on him. Yeah. Finally, you know, after all these years of, you know, wondering what happened to his parents. So anyway, it was, that was, uh, that was kind of like the biggest moment for me. No. Uh, when you, you said those two moments and was the Helga kiss um, that happened earlier. And then of course, when he found his parents, um, what was your initial thought as far as like, this is the sound Did you, did you have to wait until you saw it? Or do you already have, like you said, you just got to shut up and listen to the music that's already out there. You got to sit here and just take it all in. Or was this something that you have to visually see? Or was it something you were taking as far as like, if I was Arnold, this is, probably what would be going through my head or what I would think it would sound like if I had lost my parents so long ago. I mean, what was that? How was that process as far as that goes? You know, I, uh, it, as happened with the, with the series, um, when I knew that we were going to do the movie, uh, mm. I did some kind of preliminary writing. And one of the things, obviously one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, what's, what's a thematic idea that could possibly play when he finds his parents. Mm. Um, 
there were a few things. There was like, you know, he's going to find his parents. They're the green eyed people who need to have, you know, some, uh, uh, some music. Uh, La Sombra, the bad guy yeah. needs to have a, a theme, you know? So, so those are, those are things, those are all ideas that I played around with before I got in any picture or anything before I actually started writing the movie and the, the scene where Arnold finds his parents, there are really two ideas there. There's one is the, that great um, visual of the, the uh, what, what would you call it? That big statue, you know, and the Monolith. big horns that the steam comes out of, you know, those, those things, obviously those had to have a big musical sound. So that's that big kind of, you know, the yeah. big bass kind of brass, huge low, you know, tubas and trombones thing that happens at the beginning of the cue. And then the other thing is the, the beautiful, that beautiful image of the butterflies yeah. taking off. And that, the, the image of the butterflies and one of the little I, melodic ideas, just like these two chords that I, that I really liked for that moment, really kind of turned into the same thing and became the, the engine that kind of took him all the way up to the room where his parents were. Now, when, when you're working through all of this, is it, so when I, when, so I cook for a living. So there's been plenty of times where I sit here and think when I'm making something, do I like this because I like this or do I like this because other people will like this because it tastes good, because it's got this, it's got enough salt, it's got enough acid, it's got enough sweetness, it's got everything it needs. Um, do you notice that about when you're doing your work? It's like, shit, man, I like this. And then do you like kind of crowdsource it? Like, hey, come over here, like your wife or your kids. If I show you this and then you listen to the sound, do, do you ever bounce ideas off of the people close to you to see if it's just something that you like or if it's something that collectively everybody's going to like? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, pl I play things for my kids. Mm. Uh, I, I have two kids who are in their early 30s. So uh, they're, they know my writing really well. They know yeah. all the... The, the really bad stuff that I do, <laughs> my, my bad habits and, and my good habits. My wife, I play stuff for um, more now than more now than back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a really, you know, to your point about um, is this just something for me or is this something that everybody's going to like? I, I think a big part of um, a, a big part of any creative endeavor, whether it's uh, being a chef Mm -hmm. uh, or whether it's being a, a musician or uh, uh, however you express yourself creatively, um, a, a huge part of it is, is coming to uh, trust that uh, you have a voice, you have uh, a thing that you do that has, that has value. Yeah. And it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to have value for everybody, mm -hmm. but it has value for you that you get to realize in, in the making of it. Yeah. And I think once you get, once you come to that magical point where you go, Oh, I can do this. I do have a, I can write music or I, you know, I, I, I can make a souffle, <laughs> 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 uh, you know, wh whatever, whatever your particular hill happens to be that you're climbing. That's a, that's a great moment when you, when the lights finally go on and you say, Oh, okay. Uh, I can do this. I, my, my first wife, used to get so mad at me because I would never say I was a composer, you know? People would say, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a keyboard player, you know? And she'd say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you tell people that you're a composer? I said, well, I, you know, I didn't go to school for it. I didn't, I'm completely self-taught. I, 
I just always, I don't know. It's just, I didn't feel like I had the right. Did you feel pretentious to say in it? What's that? Did it feel pretentious saying it? Yeah, a little bit, you know, and I'm, I I grew up in the Midwest. So, you know, if you're a Midwesterner, you, you, at least back in the day, it was like, you know, don't get too far ahead of yourself, young man. You know, you get <laughs> who, do you think, who do you think you are calling yourself a composer? <laughs> it's, it's funny you say that because there's there's humbling experiences, both, you know, on the outside, on the inside. And uh, my kid does point karate. So he does like a lot of tournaments and stuff like that. And he's got a, he's got one coming up in a couple of weeks or next weekend, actually. Um, and last weekend he did his first or not last week. I'm sorry. Last year he did two. And those were his first two tournaments. And he, he placed first in both of them. And uh, I was looking on, on the uh, score breakdowns and all this other stuff. Cause I was getting ready to sign him up for another one. And he's like, Hey, why do they have my name listed? And then what does number six meaning? I was like, Oh, it means you're sixth in the state, but you've only had two fights. So they can only score what you've done while everybody else has done this many you've only done this many. So you're bracketed higher. And he was like, Oh man, he's like, I'm sixth in the state. And I was like, calm down, karate kid. You're sixth in the state with two tourneys under your belt. And then he was like, yeah, but I'm still sixth in the state. And this is why I bring this up is because you were talking about, you, you can don't get your head yourself, young man. So he's got a cat that he wanted and uh, it's his job to, to scoop the litter box. So he went over into the kitchen again and he was getting something. I heard him going sixth in the state, sixth in the state, just cheering <laughs> himself up, pumping himself up. So I look over and I'm folding laundry. I'm like, hey, six in the state. And he pulls his head over and he's like, yeah. And he, I was like, go up there and scoop the cat shit out of the, out of the litter box, uh, six in the state. And so he's like, oh, all right, well, so you got to humble him. You got to break him down a little bit. So I completely understand what you mean about that Midwest vibe about uh, staying humble and you know not, not getting your britches too high. Yeah. But, um, you know, so going back to going back to, to, to you and Hey Arnold and just the amazing job you've done. Um, so at this point, it's been almost close to what, 25 years that you've been working with this series. You know, there's some pauses in between here and there with the show ending in 2000, was it four, five ish? And, uh, you know, being brought back in 2017. Um, and you brought up something earlier that I want to circle back to. And I wrote it down here in my notes. Um, but you were talking about character and their character music or, or, you know, especially Helga, right? So she'd either be super, super happy or super just demonic. And she's like, ah, everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to feel this wrath. Um, what were some of your favorite characters to really find an essence for? And what were some of the, the ones that I don't want to say least favorite because it just seems like ah, these characters suck, but it's not the point. It's not the case. What were some of the harder ones to find a voice or a sound for? You know, uh, I, I don't remember really struggling with uh, with any of them, and and I, I think what that is is a credit to uh, two things, really. Uh, first of all, the the quality of the writing on the show was extraordinary. Um, I, you know, I, I can't I can't give you a complete list of other writers on the show, uh, and I'll, I'll leave a ton of people out if I even start. But <laughs> I will say to a person, we had phenomenal writers on you the too. show, and and so what ended up getting recorded was awesome. Yes, the talent for the show, the casting for the show, was also routinely awesome. I mean, there. I think we had six kids play Arnold, seven, I think if you count 
the Jungle Movie, I, I, I believe that's right, all of whom brought particular strengths, but all of whom brought, you know, really brought their A game to the show. Uh, Franny, who played Helga, obviously irreplaceable. Yes. Uh, Camille Smith, who played uh, uh, Gerald, irreplaceable. I mean, they didn't, they, I think the, the other characters, uh, we had two, two, two boys play Stinky, two different boys play Stinky. I think there was uh, one for Harold, Justin um, Shirkoats. Justin Shankro, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he played. Yeah. Also irre irreplaceable, you know, nobody's, nobody's gonna be able to do that. Um, so you had that, so you got the writing, you got the incredible voice talent all the way through. Um, and, uh, and, and then you have uh, the animators. Uh, um, and I, I gotta give a shout out to Tuck uh, Tucker, who was uh, one of the lead animators on the show who just passed recently. Uh, it's a real drag to lose Tuck. He was, um, yeah, he was a monster. Uh, he was a monster artist. Uh, and and who Helga turned out to be is in large part due to the fact that Tuck really took that character uh, and and made her into something, you know, I mean, with all the other stuff that, that came before, but that's, you know, and, and so so we got these, all these other great animators and the the artists who did the backgrounds for the show uh, also were like so world-class. Um, so all of that stuff, you know, all of that stuff goes into the mix to, to, to make the, you know, make the characters what they are. And all I'm doing is really paying attention to that stuff. You know, when you work on a show where all the, where all the pieces are put together so, so well, the, the writing part, the thematic writing and, and all that stuff gets really easy. Um, I loved uh, I love grandpa's theme, the kind of, you know, that, that thing. I loved uh, Helga's love theme. Da, 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 and, and Arnold and Gerald both got uh, this kind of new Jack. We, we used yeah. to call it the, the ring-a-ding, but it was, you know, so whenever that it's, it's like the, the sound that starts the end credit music, you know, stomping that thing, that thing, just like at a certain point you go, Hey, it's time for the ring-a-ding, you know, and you just <laughs> put up some version of that beat and, and, and there you'd be. I think uh, you start selling shirts that say ring-a-ding, Jim. Was <laughs> I said I think we should start selling shirts that say "Ring a Ding." <laughs> it's probably too late for that, unfortunately. Not, not at all, man. It's it's everything is coming back in vogue, man. What was once old is now new, and what's new is nobody gives a shit about anymore. Everybody wants what happened 20, 30 years ago. Um, I mean, mind you, Hey Arnold coming back, right? Um, right. So before we get past it, because whenever somebody that is past that comes up in a story. I've done it a few times with some of the, uh, if you couldn't tell I'm a huge Ninja Turtle fan behind me and I've got them all over my arm. And um, one of my favorite people in the world, um, and I don't know if you know who he was, but James Avery, um, Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was the voice of Shredder in the 1987 cartoon series. Um, and I asked all of the guests that I've had on that got a chance to be in his presence because he was such a, Everybody called him a teddy bear. Everybody, just amazing stories. But you brought up Mr. Tucker. Um, and 
I'd like to ask if you want to, um, cause I asked them as well with Mr. Avery and shit like that. Um, is there any story, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be super personal, but any funny moment that you might've had with them that you like to share? Um, you know, if not, we don't have to talk about it, but I always like, you know, whenever somebody that had such a huge influential part in a show or in somebody's life and, you know, they tragically pass away. Um, I always like to say thank you in a sense that, man, I wish I would have gotten the chance to thank him just like I'm trying to do here now with you to thank you as well as all the other animators and writers that have just worked on this show and made just not only my childhood, not only my child's childhood, man, but also my adulthood and so many other kids um, out there and adults now at this point. Um, but is there any story that you would like to share about uh, Mr. Tucker? Well, what I want to try and do is see if I can find, I don't know if I can do this cause I'm such an Instagram idiot, but um, <laughs> it's okay. Me too. Uh, Craig, Craig is the person to ask that question for sure. <laughs> and he posted up, yeah, I'm not going to be able to find this. He posted up a really great uh, uh, kind of a, a memorial to Tuck on his Instagram, just talking about how, you know, what a great guy he was, how hard he worked on the show. Uh, and if I wasn't an Instagram idiot, I would read it to you, but I'm not going to be able to find it, unfortunately. Um, but when you get, when you get Craig on the show, uh, ask him about Tuck. We'll do. I'm already got it. I've got he'll have, he'll have a he'll have a Tuck Tucker story for you. Yeah, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping that he'll come on down down the line. Uh, he is a very very busy man, as you know, uh, being his friend. He's very busy and he's always getting pulled in different ways. But one day I hope to have him on here. Um, but nonetheless, man. So as we're starting to wind down, because I don't want to keep it too long, we've almost hit that hour mark. Um, you know, and I, I don't ever like taking you guys too long from your family because you guys agree to come on here. And I really appreciate it. Every time I get to talk to somebody, like I said earlier, that had just such a huge part in my childhood. I, I, I like to say thank you. But I figure we can get to some questions. Right. So we already asked AC's question. And some of these names I'm not going to read off because a lot of them are <laughs> they'll make me blush. And I was a sailor. So uh, <laughs> I don't know some of their names. Most of these came from Reddit and Facebook and Instagram. But nonetheless, here we go. So Miguel wants to know from Reddit and uh, well, no, this isn't even a question. It's just a statement. He wanted to tell you, thank you. Um, but he said, Miguel, he said, the show wouldn't be what it was without the music. Uh, and you're already a big part of not only his life, but his daughter's life. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got a little choked up there. Um, big part of his daughter's life. So Miguel from Reddit, he wants to say, thank you, Jim. I appreciate everything you did. Um, Gerald Waller from Facebook would love to know what inspired you to incorporate jazz into the music of the show. Um, we touched a little bit on it and we kind of talked about you and Craig going back and forth, but what was it about jazz that you specifically had to have in there? Well, I, I think it was because it was sort of my, uh, jazz and R&B were what I listened to when I, was, when I was coming up, when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, it, was a, it was a great time for, uh, Jazz recordings, I mean, the, it's just such a long list of incredible people who were recording and performing at that point. Uh, and, and so it was like going home for me, you know, the idea that, um, uh, that I could take, you know, some jazz ideas. And really, uh, I have to say, I'm not a jazz musician. I don't know the 250 songs out of the American Songbook that every jazz musician has to know. I don't, you know, I didn't sit around and, and shed my instrument 
so that I could go and hang with, you know, guys that could play their asses off. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, my keyboard skills are embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the feeling of that music and the sound of that music is something that's really, that really goes very deep in me as we were talking about earlier, you know, it's yeah. my, it's kind of the wellspring for me uh, from, from, from when I was a kid. So um, being able to reach into the, into that bag of tricks and, and, and really explore uh, I, I had never done anything where you, where I could use jazz harmony before, you know, so uh, I, Hadn't, hadn't worked on any films where I got to try and see if I could act like McCoy Tyner for 30 seconds, you know, so. Well, like I <laughs> so, said, there I, so there I was. <laughs> the, the music really was the heart and soul behind this. I mean, there's not another show or another movie that I can really sit here and say, and I'm not, I'm not into music the way you are. Like most people are like, I enjoy music, um, but I do it as a way of escapism, right? So when I'm running, I love running after I've run. I hate running while I'm running, right? So, you know, I'll go and run with my dog. And then I used to just listen to podcasts on runs. Um, now I need something to like motivate me to get me through. It's like, I need a lot of hate in my body to pedal my 225 pound ass up and down the street and up and down the hill. Um, so music is, like I said, it's, it's, the, it's the inspiration. It's the, what gets me going. And like I said, Arnold, wouldn't be Arnold without the heart and soul that you threw into it. Um, but going into the next question, um, uh, nope, that we already did that one. And Tim, one of my good friends, uh, we played Dungeons and Dragons every Wednesday. So there's two of these guys in here. Um, he wanted to know, what was your inspiration for the theme song to Hey Arnold? Uh, that's a, actually, it's a, it's a funny story that I've, I've talked about in interviews before, but uh, if you haven't heard it, um, back when I was in my, uh, in my twenties, I was in Boston in my, uh, kind of mid to late twenties, uh, trying to get a record deal, you know, be a songwriter. I was learning how to be in the studio. There was a, a studio called music designers in downtown Boston, which is where the Berkeley college music is now. And uh, so I was working at that studio and, uh, one of the guys who was always around, uh, uh, was this guy, uh, Don Rosenberg, who was uh, the son of the guy who started Dunkin' Donuts. Okay. <laughs> and I thought, uh, I should write, I should write a, a jingle f- for Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. And so I came up with this thing. I got the feeling like a donkey today. A Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and, and, and I never recorded it and I never played it for Donnie and I never played it for his dad. It just kind of stayed in the back of my head, you know, forever. So fast forward to, you know, 93 or whenever we're, you know, 94, whenever we're pitching the, the execs at, at Nickelodeon on some, some music ideas for the show. And Craig had always thought, um, he, he was always kind of finger popping and going, Arnold, you crazy nut, you know, because it was like, like a it was like a brat a brat pack thing, and there was you know Dino Spumoni yep. in, in the show, so that was going to be one of the influences, you know, this this kind of fifties uh, uh, era swing yeah. was was going to be a flavor, and so we thought, hey, that should be the that should be the theme song. So we're sitting in a meeting with um, with the two executives, uh, and uh, 
we're starting to hum the song, you know, and finger pop and sing, Arnold, you crazy. And before we even got like to the second line, they were already moaning, you know, there was just like this low moan. Uh, so, <laughs> so we knew he'd been shot down. And, uh, and so I went, I, I, I told Greg, I said, well, you know, I'll take another crack. I'll come up with a different idea. So I went home and then the idea that really sprang forth was that ring-a-ding, you know, I turned on the ring-a-ding and got that going. And then that idea for, it's kind of like, it's, it's sort of like a bebop line, right? It's a little bit out of tune, you know, the, the intervals are not quite what you expect they're gonna be. And so I just took that really kind of wholesome melody and, and busted it up a little bit and slammed it over that, that beat. And that's where, that's where it all started. That's where the theme song came from. I told you, man, Ring-A-Ding is your next t-shirt, Jim. So. <laughs> so if you start listening to the theme song and all of a sudden you want to have a crawler, you'll know what the deal is, right? <laughs> are, are you, uh, before I go to the next question, are you an SNL fan at all? SN Saturday Night Live or no? Yeah, yeah Saturday Night Live. Oh, uh, not, not for not for many years. Uh, I, w I was a huge fan back in the day, but I haven't watched it for a long time. So they did a uh, they did an episode with uh, I think it was Casey Affleck a few years back, and I'll uh, I'll send it to you after this. But it was the Duncan guy, um, and it's I got to go to Boston for the first time because that's where my wife's family is from. They're from Massachusetts area. So right before COVID kicked off and just shut everything down, I got to go up there and see the city cold as shit coldest place I've ever been in my life and I was in Great Lakes in February it was snow up to my hip I've never I've never I've never been that cold in my life essentially um <clears throat> but just knowing that it was a guy named Donnie from the Dunkin Donuts line and then the character's name is Donnie in the in the skit it's like everybody's known knows Donnie and I didn't realize that Dunkin Donuts it's essentially like Starbucks is everywhere else. There is a Dunkin' Donuts on every damn corner in Massachusetts. Like you turn around, there's a Dunkin'. You turn around here, there's a Dunkin'. It's insane. Um, but like I said, I'll send I'll send you that clip. It is hilarious. Um, so plowing ahead here for the next one. Um, Gredge, interesting name, from Reddit wants to know, was there anything that didn't make the cut for the show um, it's a two-part question, so we'll start with there. Was there anything that didn't make the cut for the show? Hmm. Musically, um, musically, no, really. I mean, that the the funny story I was just telling you about the theme song. Yeah. We eventually wrote that song, mm -hmm. and it became a promo uh, that they used for. Um, what they there was a there was a, a thing in Nickelodeon called the Nickelozone. Yeah. Um, and so we did a promo for the Nickelozone and we wrote a whole lyric to that da 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 um guy named Eric Allen who was a, a promo guy for Nickelodeon, great guy, super talented, wrote a lyric for it and we recorded it. Uh, Mervyn Warren from Take Six. Uh, mm -hmm did a vocal arrangement and we got a big band in and we did, you know, we spent a bunch of their money making uh, <laughs> a 30 second, great 30 second spot, which incidentally is on the, uh, is on the Hey Arnold vinyl. Yeah. Uh, that, that just came out earlier this year. So if you, uh, if you can find a copy of the Hey Arnold vinyl, you can, you can feast, feast your ears on that. 
I'm sure you can find on eBay for a pretty penny at this point. Yeah. Um, so, so, but to, to answer the question, no, they, there were, there were very, uh, I was so blessed uh, to be working with people who really just never said no. That's yeah. always a good thing when they really trust you and they trust. So when I go and get a haircut and this is going to sound like I'm diminishing your profession and I really don't mean that that's the way it's going to sound. Don't, please don't take this personal. <laughs> when I go to a hair, it's, it's very hard finding a barber that you trust. Right. So I go there and they're like, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. I don't work in this profession. I cook for a living. I don't cut hair. I don't know how to speak to barbers. Right. So the criteria is essentially um, if you think I will look good in a mohawk, give me a mohawk. If you think I'll look good with a mullet, give me a mullet, right? I trust you 100%, just two things. Please don't make me look dumb and please don't let me regret giving you all of this trust. That's the only thing I ever say. I was like, please just do your best. Don't make me look stupid. Yes, it will grow back eventually. However, I don't wanna be made fun of for a couple of weeks. So please yeah. just do whatever you gotta do. So it's always nice when you get that creative freedom in any line of work really. But um, so I guess the second part of this question would be um, that if you really didn't get anything through or if you if there was a couple of things that didn't make the cut, um, would you be willing to release it? But everything you really wanted to say and put out there pretty much got done. Yeah, uh, uh, there's a ton of music I would love to release. Uh, I think we, uh, we definitely talked to uh, Enjoy the Ride, which is the label that released the Hair and Vinyl about doing a volume two. So uh, hopefully that's uh, somewhere in the future. And then at some point, um, I'm hoping to do a, a digital, uh, digital release of a lot of the material. Um, I just have to, I, I just have to make the deal with, with uh, Viacom to get the rights to do it. Um, but that's not going to happen until we've really kind of run the, run the course of the vinyl releases so that, um, so that those guys uh, can, you know, make their money back on that. Yeah. Is, is there any way that you could get the rights back? Or let me put it this way. Is there a way that us fans could help you in a sense that crowdsourcing or crowdfunding, you know, GoFundMe or I can't think of the other one. Um, but you could essentially throw like, hey, man, we want to do this. And I see it all the time with people like when they write books, they write music or they write something or something has the right somewhere else. Um, and I don't want to say they're not doing anything with it, but you see an avenue that you could take it. And it is your work at the end of the day, even though it was licensed out, you were paid to do it. They own it. Um, but is there a way that us fans could possibly help as far as crowdsourcing, GoFundMe or anything like that to help yeah. with the rights? Interesting. I, I, I never thought about it that way. Uh, it, it's an interesting idea. Um, most of the time, the um, producers are not interested in giving up any of their intellectual property. Yeah. Uh, certainly not for, you know, not, not for a, a song. On the other hand, uh, they are not, they're usually not terribly active about promoting mm -hmm. the, the music from their shows. Uh, and Hey Arnold is kind of an outlier, you know, fortunately for us all, the music became more of a thing than any of us had any idea it was going to be. And I think probably is more of a thing than Viacom really is aware uh, mm -hmm. that it is. Um, when, when I remember when we approached them about doing the vinyl release, the, the, you know, kind of volume one of the Hey Arnold music, uh, they were, they were kind of stoked. Uh, they, they were kind of happy to get the phone call, I think. Yeah. Um, 
because it's not, you know, it's not an initiative that the company is going to take. They're really not geared up to do, you know, KTEL versions of, uh, of their scores, which is a shame because it's a, you know, it's a, a revenue source for them. There's a market for it. I promise yeah. you that. I mean, like I said, the, the, the reason, and I don't want to say the, the only reason that this show is so iconic was because of the music. Like when I gave you my bullshit math earlier, is like 50% of 100% of the reason this show is so good, which absolutely makes no sense in the world. But nonetheless, it makes sense up here. And that's all I'm really shooting for. But you guys were a very big reason by you guys. I mean, you and your people you worked with and worked, you know, helped you do what you had to do. You guys are the reason that that people love this music and this soundtrack. And you would just think that, man, this is this is an opportunity to have more cash revenue, you know, more cash flow coming in or more anything. Everybody's really looking towards, you know, bringing stuff back from the past. I mean, Arnold did it. Rocco's Modern Life did it. And Invader Sim. All three of those shows partnered with Netflix, which partnered with Viacom and Nickelodeon. You would think like, hey, man, let's cash. Let's strike while the iron is hot, essentially. Um, yeah. You know, I was kind of bummed when that didn't happen. We've uh, we've had high hopes for years that that uh, Netflix or Apple or somebody would pick up and try and give us a six season to do, you know. Um, and Craig's been, you know, he's pitched it to everybody that's out there. And at the end of the day, nobody wants to do it. I don't understand. And I'm like I said, I am just a fan. So I'm super, super biased when it comes to these characters and the world that Craig is cre- world that Craig has created. And you have just composed the entire world that I want to live in. I want Jim Lang to follow me. And anytime I open a door, I don't know if you ever watched Family Guy, but Peter had hired he got rich and he hired a band to follow him. So anytime he did something, he had like a full orchestra behind him. He kicked somebody in the nuts and it was that dun, 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 for the tuba and shit like that. Right. So I would love to have somebody like Jim Lang saying, Hey man, we would love to do, you know, one more season or Craig. I would, I just don't understand this guy. Like I said, is a genius for one and two, you would think with as much money as he made him with Arnold um, and your jingle and everything else you guys have done. They've like, you know what? Let's just write this guy. Let's just sign a check. He can fill in the numbers later. I mean, if I was a businessman wearing a suit, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be going and finding the people that made my company what it is. Um, and then just like, came on, let's keep getting these ideas out there. But um, just doesn't make any sense, I suppose. So, well, we still, you know, we still hope that it'll happen someday, but maybe it will and maybe it won't. You never know. Like I said, I hope it does, man. So we got uh, we got two more questions and then we'll wrap it up and then we'll go from there. Right. So Jessica Ness from Facebook would love to know. Well, we just answered that question. I should have looked ahead, man, because they wanted to know if you would uh, if you were to get another season would you be interested in coming back as the composer <laughs> oh hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> jessica ness that was a hell yeah from jim Lang. um <laughs> and the last one from my other DD buddy garrett peace uh how do you feel about the series ending with the jungle movie um and then it's uh, another question about what we were just asked if you'd be willing to do spinoffs um not so much a, a final season but would you be interested in a spinoff and uh, what character would you love to see get spun off? Uh, yeah, uh, m- more would be great. Um, it, the ending of the movie, um, we talked a lot about. Are we going to leave a you know? Are we going to leave the door open just a crack? Yeah. At the end, and and actually the um, there was. Uh, there was a moment 
uh, I can't, it's funny, I, I, haven't, I haven't looked at the movie for at least a year now, but there's a moment at the very end where Arnold's walking into the school and his parents have followed him right up to the door, you know? And so uh, uh, we had a, a lot of conversation about if we go forward, you know, Arnold's gonna be living in a very different world. His parents are here now. Mm -hmm. And not only are his parents here, but his parents have been asleep in the jungle for years. Yeah. So they're gonna be a liability. You know, it's not like he got his parents back. He's got this other kind of crazy couple to go with his crazy grandparents. So his life is gonna get even more complicated. I mean, those are the kinds of discussions we have. And there's a moment uh, right where he turns and looks back through the door of, of, the, of the school and sees his parents outside, you know, hopefully standing on the steps out there uh, where we put a, there's kind of a little signature sound like a little woodwind thing that we used elsewhere in the show when it was like, oh, what's that kind of a, a musical statement. We put that in there and then I think uh, we got notes from the executives like, no, that's weird. That that beat is really weird. You should just take it out. So it ended up not being in the in the musical cue at the end. But but people should know we definitely had conversations about. Okay, it, one thing we might do is to just start next day. You know, yeah. Arnold's weird parents are here. What what's that going to be like? They want to follow him around everywhere. What's that feel like? It's it's. <clears throat> I don't know if I'm looking too far into this, but it is a very beautiful moment when that movie ends and his parents are walking him right because his parents, like like I'm sure you did with your kids and I did with my my son and then my son soon son to be when he goes to school. You walk your kids to school for the first day, you know you're taking them all the way up to the place where you can, um, and then. Not so much for me, but my wife had such a huge issue, not an issue with, she had a hard time, you know, letting go, essentially saying, here's my son, right? Um, so it was a beautiful moment and I got goosebumps just thinking about it. And I, like I said, I don't know if I overanalyze this stuff because at the end of the day, it's a cartoon and I don't want to diminish anybody that's working, but it's cartoon, it's not real, right? But you can take the real out of a cartoon and it's real to you. So when I saw that, I was like, they never got to take him to his first day of school. So this is them, however many years it was, what, 10, 11 years, whatever it was. I can't remember the exact age, um, but this is their first day at school with their son, right? So they're going through the same emotions. Like, what do I do now? Like, I was bummed when I got back to my car because I didn't want to see anybody cry. I was in uniform. I didn't want to like, ah, oh, this guy's soft. You know, I'm like, 24 at the time so I had this you know weird weird preconceived notion like you got to be strong for your kid you know you can't really cry for the kid you don't want to make him stressed out um so you know I lost it when I got back to the car because my little buddy's in school I don't really have you know I don't have anybody to like come and bounce ideas off of anymore just listen to me vent when I'm upset you know so it was it was definitely weird but seeing that you're like it transports you back to a time you're like, oh man, I know what that felt like. I know what they were going through. And the fact that they've been asleep. I don't know if you ever seen the movie Encino Man with Polly Shore, but the caveman's frozen or the caveman's frozen. He comes back, you know, a million years, whatever it is. And he's just dropped in downtown Encino in the 90s. And then you're like, what the hell happens to a caveman that's never seen any of this stuff? And that's the feel I got. They're like, what would they do? And I would love to see you know, what the first day of school was like for them. Like, what were they doing? Like, just, wow, kids are on their phones now. I mean, we go away, it's beepers or 
you know, phones that look like bricks and now it's something that could be folded up or, you know, slid right in your pocket. I would love to see like, holy shit, everything's magic now. Right. So, um, Pretty good question from Garrett, even though I messed with him a little bit, was breaking his balls. But nonetheless, man, I've kept you long enough. And Jim, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Like I said at the beginning, and I've said numerous times here already, you know, your music was so influential for this series, for these movies. You know, um, you said it earlier, when you hear something, you know, you're transported back to a time where you can understand like, wow, I was really influenced by this. And there was no place I wanted to be then right at PS 118 with these kids, hanging out with them, learning from them, understanding what they were doing, not only just for that, for the stories and for the friendships they had, but for the cool ass music that they got to live with and inspire their life, man. I can't thank you enough for not only taking the time to sit down with me today, um, but doing what you did and making my childhood and so many other kids' childhoods so damn fun. So Jim, right off the bat, man, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you, Julian. It's really, it's, it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm very blessed uh, to have fallen into that. We met Craig and uh, had a chance to work on that show. And um, it's, uh, you know, uh, not everybody gets that, that lucky in their career. So uh, I'm thankful for it every day of my life and thankful for all the great email I get from people uh, talking about how much they like the music to the show. It means a ton to me. Well, like I said, man, I'm glad. I'm so glad we got to talk. And I'm so glad that they always say never meet your heroes. But I'm telling you right now, boys and girls, go out and meet your heroes. They're always great, man. He's been Jim. I've been Julian. This has been What's in My Head podcast. And we're out of time, man. Have a great day. Say something nice to somebody today. And I'll catch you when I catch you. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.